What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode number 17 of Through the Veil. I'm your host, Alex Nelson, and today on the podcast, we have my good friend, Kave Kavusi, and we are diving just super, super deep into all things about truth, impeccability of your word, how to identify different parts of yourself, and how to look at yourself with a more critical eye and a more wholly encompassing eye. I really, really loved this episode. It is by far the longest episode to date. We ran about an hour and 40 minutes on the initial recording, so I hope you enjoy this one. If you do, please share it out with a friend that you think could use it. Uh, Give us a five-star rating on your podcast player of choice and leave a review. Those are really the best ways to share this out. But without any further ado, let's hop right in. And we are live. All right, so copy Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being on. If you could uh, introduce yourself and tell a little bit about what you do and who you are, um, tell the audience about that. Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Kave Kabusi. I hail from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And um, I practice emergency medicine up here. So that's my societal do. But as has been the case the past year, it's the thing I do, not who I am. And it's been really important for me early on to disidentify with the things that we latch onto to allow myself to be as curious as I can be. And um, I feel like I'm uh, this, this child in the, in the body of an adult. And uh, I feel like that we're tapping into this aspect of childness that has left me completely curious with the world in wonder and in awe and uh, almost as a ritual, disidentifying with all the things that I had been identifying in the first 32 years of my life. So um, I want to identify with as little right now, and we can just divulge as we move forward. Beautiful. Yeah, I find it interesting. It's a, as a potential first topic to jump off on that we, because I've certainly been there. And as I've started to forge this path of entrepreneurship and being self-employed, Um, it's been funny to unpack the feelings of all of these societal pressures of job title as who you are and watching myself internally as I have been less able to describe like, well, I'm big, important manager at this job. It's like, I can't say that anymore. It's much more nebulous what I do. And it's a lot of things. It's funny to watch the ego want to latch on to like, the best description of what I do as a defense mechanism of like, no, look, I'm socially acceptable versus a more true description of who I am and what I do and just showing up as that. Right. Well, it's interesting because you you actually still can say all of these things. It's just when you become into awareness of it, it shames you a little differently or you feel it like impact your system in a way that you feel doesn't serve you. And then you have the choice whether the next time that opportunity shows up, do I lean into this again or am I going to lean away and step into something else? And usually that something else is away from the identity, but it takes the awareness and it's the awareness that you have. And I became aware as you made your first share that how appreciative I am to be on the podcast with you, sharing and disseminating the information that Mm -hmm. you do with such utter curiosity. Um, I, also recognize that what i mean if you go outside and people watching what a beautiful uh process to be involved in but if you 
look at people, their brain is probably processing all of these things that it identifies with because why though? It's where it feels the safest. Mm -hmm. Ego wants to know where it is in space and time, right. where it exists among the tribe. And more importantly, what it's avoiding places of pain where it mm -hmm. could disidentify with. So I'm, uh, I'm super curious about that aspect of life. And um, I, I feel like the process that it always starts with awareness. And uh, I, I, this group that we, we both met each other through Fit for Service, it's a group of very powerful people who are either stepping into awareness or have been dancing with it uh, inadvertently. And now they're becoming aware of their own awareness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what's, what's been beautiful this last year and, of course, this year moving forward as well is to be to be around people like yourself and other people that we know in the program who are committed to both becoming more aware themselves but also to speaking truth to each other with as raw honesty as we can and with loving honesty, which I think is important. And that's such a huge tool for awareness of self is the mirror how do you see me and not to base my entire who I am off of that, but to make adjustments where I'm out of alignment. Cause I can say something to you and I can assume it's having a certain impact because of my upbringing, because of how I am, because of the filters that it runs through. But as I say it to you, it has a totally different impact than I intended. And then all of a sudden you receive it a different way. And I'm like, well, why is Kave pissed at me? Like I, I was trying to do him a kindness by telling him, whatever it was. So it's, it's been beautiful to have that sort of mirror this past year because it allows, it allows you to further orient yourself in relation to other human beings because we're a social animal and we need to have that relation, but also to adjust who you are to who, who you really want to be. And so it's a delicate balance because you don't want to go too far and be like, I want to be cool. So therefore I'm going to try to be cool. Mm -hmm. Well, am I going to honor my image? Am I going to honor the facade or am I going to honor my truth? And when you start stepping into what truth is, that may come at the expense of everything, you know, completely disintegrating. And this group was beautiful in being all of those mirrors that we got to reevaluate ourselves. It's un it's inquantifiable. I don't even know if that's the right word. I, I cannot properly or adequately quantify the amount of times I brought myself back into reflection, but I'm deeply humbled by having had that opportunity experience. And I guess when we step into, like when we step into our, if we weren't part of fit for service and we were just continuing on with our lives, we go into environments that we habituate and get to know very well, but the mirrors stop being any form, not reflect. They don't have the same level of reflection. You'd say that they need a little Windex, a little spraying mm -hmm. for us to see any bit of ourselves. But because we don't for a while, we lose sense of like our truth and we get more stuck in the identity, the, 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 the way that we have been habitually showing up. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I feel like this group had in the form of people, places, things had a multitude of ways for us to be really uh, brought back into question. And I'm redefining Kave even as I speak on this mm. podcast right now. And Kave is just a name that, again, I identify and some people have a, the, the capacity to recognize and come into awareness of who I am. But mm. it's just a thing. And um, what there's this author, Anthony DeMello, 
mm-hmm. very powerful um, spirit, like spiritual mystic that uh, has captivated me over the past year. And one thing that he speaks about in particular is um, when you know you are basing yourself on information that you have acquired, but that is different from insight. Mm-hmm. And insight is when you start stepping into awareness and curiosity. And as long as you are information-based, you are identifying with things and you are missing the points that uh, like the substance and sustenance that's that exists in life so i intentionally step away from words that i recognize from places that i feel comfortable with with people or even the clothes that i wear to feel what the other side of that is and there's life on the other side of all of these little inflection like moments of uh of reflection Mm. uh, go ahead yeah it's a it's a beautiful sentiment because it is we let me see how to unpack this in a way that makes sense the the thoughts are racing through my mind from that we divide ourselves tribally along these arbitrary lines that are in large part determined by the place of your birth and the parents you happen to have when you start to intentionally undo some of these patterns and put yourself into the exact opposite circumstance of who you are currently, you start to realize, as you were saying, that there is life on the other side of these arbitrary artificial barriers. And then you realize, oh, wow, there are people who are doing the exact opposite of what I'm doing in just about every way who are probably plenty happy, or at least they're having an existence that is going relatively good. It's a, it's a humanizing perspective because it makes you go, oh, it's not like I am the one and I've got the way of life and everyone needs my way of life. It's, oh man, everyone is doing their own fucking thing and to have a little more empathy and to step into that more often with intentionality is a really powerful concept. That's beautiful share. So within those barriers, um, and like, so when you share this information, there's people who are listening to a podcast and they've heard this concept that you just shared 10 Mm. times, but they're brought back into the, the mirror. And finally, there might be the one word that you say that allows the reflection to come through and they actually see what that barrier is. And often those barriers are their, their concepts, their uh, conditioning, whether it's cultural, religious, parental, familial, societal, um, and then attachments. And those keep us firmly anchored on the, uh, on behind on the safe side of what those barriers are. And, but um, that, that's probably where my deepest curiosity lies right now. And what these barriers, like these barriers are to be honored. And if we are as beautifully uh, created, like not if we are a beautifully created creature that has culminated into this present moment where we have conceptualized technology that while I'm in Toronto, you are in Minnesota and we're able to have this conversation there has been these protective mechanisms that are within us that we're just starting to get to know. So these barriers are probably the most humbling and deeply appreciative things that I have within us. But now we have the opportunity to let these barriers know that because they honor survival. Mm -hmm. If we can let these barriers know that we will continue to survive in these environments that it thinks our monkey mind needs to keep honoring in order to continue to, to exist in this lifetime, but we want to thrive. So if we let these barriers know that they are safe, 
Hmm. And these, what, like, there, we can dive into what these barriers are like from different times in our lives. Um, we are going to be thriving and basking in life in a, in a way that is closer to our truth, less fear-based, less attachment-based, less separative, and more uh, in having people, places, and this environment in mind. And I look up, and before we started this call, you were telling me how it's minus four Fahrenheit over there, mm -hmm. and over here it's plus four Celsius. And right now, Toronto has no business not having any snow. Mm -hmm. And I'm, there's a part of me that thinks about the impact that we're having. And the reason that we're not taking action on this now is because of barriers that exist within our minds. And if we can collectively shift these, um, and let people know that they're safe to let these barriers go, we can actually continue to thrive for generations to come without the question of if. Mm. And it's, we've, we've ascended to near the top of Maslow's hierarchy, but for most of us, and you know, let's say 90% of the world, it's probably more like 99%, we're not worried about those bottom rungs anymore. Food, got it. Shelter, mostly got it. Like these are things that have been largely handled by modern society. However, for most of us, we are still running programming. And this is these barriers you're talking about that's under the surface that is causing us to feel as if those basic needs have not been met. So you operate from this place of fear of what can I get now? And we're not able to focus on the top of the pyramid, which is being able to like kind of pop your head above the clouds and look around and be like, holy shit, Australia is on fire. Oh, what caused that? Oh, glo global warming? Fuck. Oh, that's scary. I'm going to go back to <laughs> under the clouds and not thinking about it. It's like, it's our job. It's an intrinsic part of our job as humans to unpack the parts of ourselves, which are fear-based and for good reason they're biological programming that makes sense but to acknowledge and honor those parts and allow those to kind of fade back so the parts of ourselves that can show up for others for the world can come to the forefront and work right well that's deep inner system awareness that we are very fortunate to even have the capacity to be curious about um i and right now we're at a beautiful time where we're able to share information collectively around the world with technology. And we have to have, I would invite everyone. We don't have to anything. So I wanna, these are semantics of words that I'm even trying to deconstruct. I'd invite everyone to have humility in recognizing where we were before and where we are now. Even a hundred years ago, people mm -hmm. were walking around in like bags of that they would convert from carrying potatoes into using as pants. And now we have, we're on our 17th, uh, pair of pants that we're walking around with and we're we it's difficult for us to have recognition of where we were and where we are now and then we have these deep programmings that you're like you're saying do exist within us and what what was beautiful that you lined up was the the needs that aren't being met on a different level so when i when i say i'm hungry is my brain telling me i'm scared of not having food so it's a fear-based thing that compels me to go grab a meal. And maybe that's my sixth meal of the day. So maybe this is a, habit, a, a deep fear that I have. And the way that I extinguish that pain is through food. So maybe that's my, what, what society would call an addiction. But mm -hmm. it's, it's not, addictions don't exist. And as a doctor, I need to be mindful of my words. But mm -hmm. addictions do not exist. And I'm not saying to anyone who's listening that what you are experiencing is not 
depression or anxiety. Mm -hmm. You're experiencing symptoms of depression or anxiety, but uh, when we, and what we do to extinguish those pains with things like gambling, having doing drugs, alcohol, these things that we go back to over and over again that we uh, identify with or, or label people as being addicts are actually tools for extinguishing pains that are deep seated within the programming. And we have the, the person who has falls back into this over and over again are using this because this has been the most effective tool for them to get the extinguishing of pain that their system mm. needs in order for them to get to continue on in surviving. Mm. So, um, if we can work with people's first, they're, they're firefighters, which are so, yeah, there's, there's these, uh, what we call firefighters, they're mm. extinguishing of pains. If we can work with them, their system can start trusting a little bit more, mm. um, the environment that they're, they're in. And I would invite people who identify as addicts to start stepping back the next time that they are leaning into any of these substances. If, if they wonder why they're doing it, the easiest way to get clarity is to not do it and then see what comes up. Yes. I love the, okay, so a few things on that. And have you read uh, Dr. Gabor Mate's book, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts? No, I haven't. So fucking beautiful book about addiction with potentially the best title of any book of all time. In it, he talks a lot about addiction, but the the metaphor that jumps to mind, you're familiar with Pac-Man, and I'm sure people listening are familiar with the game Pac-Man. So do you remember how in Pac-Man, you're, you're the little guy and you're going, what, 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 and you're, you're eating the pellets and there's ghosts running around. And these ghosts are causing your behavior to shift. So you're like, oh shit, there's a ghost here. So you avoid and you go this way instead when maybe you would have liked to go the other way. Mm the ghosts are your traumas the ghosts are the things that are within you that have not been processed have not been acknowledged that are causing your behavior to go down a certain path without even you really knowing it necessarily and the part of the metaphor i love is you eat that power pellet and you're able to turn around and go chomp the ghost down and mm -hmm. that's like the moment the inflection point of you becoming aware of what the trauma is, what what it's causing, and kind of like you're talking about, like taking that moment to be uncomfortable, like, okay, I'm hungry and I want a pizza. Stop. I'm going to sit here and be hungry for a second and just see what comes up. Oh my God, this just feels so fearful. This feels so fearful. Oh my God, I remember when I was a kid, XYZ happened. Boom. All of a sudden you've unpacked that piece and you've flipped the narrative to where you are the person that is dictating to your life what is going to happen next rather than these unseen forces kind of buffeting you around beautifully said that that moment that space between the thought and then the action allows the the possibility for you to get curious about the why hmm. and that why is gives you power and agency on by by teaching you what is even motivating you into that direction and gives ultimately puts the power back into your hands and you are able to decide I'm going to lean into this or I am not going to, and, and you're even going to know why. So, um, I, I find that so beautiful that that space in between. So I, I even if I'm going to grab water and it's my third, I I'm already aware that I've drank three liters of water today what is my why for reaching for this thing? And then I realized, oh, I'm actually a little anxious. 
-hmm. And water has been my, this place where I, I'm going to do some type of diverting, uh, uh, some some type of uh, extinguishing of pain, and now I've drank three four liters of water. Something mm -hmm. as simple as this. So, uh, but I, as we don't. Ha I think we are so diverted with information that we have a lot of unprocessed parts within us that are expressing themselves, mm -hmm. and within that clutter, we try and have some clarity and consciousness. Sorry, I, I'm, I'm 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 mixing conscious and consciousness, mm -hmm. which are two important things to differentiate. But the, it's that little slowing things down, like intentionally allows you to start becoming more aware of the process and then the why emerges. Um, yeah, so. Let's go to tactical for a second, just because on exactly that point, um, Eric Godsey gave me an exercise that was super fucking useful for me. And I can kind of speak I can speak some fact to what you're saying. And this was, this was a while ago at the beginning of last year, but I had this habit. This is while I was working a normal job. And I had this habit of just like getting sugar at some point throughout the day. Like I'd run over to the gas station. I just get like, just fucking whatever candy, fucking energy drink, whatever it'd be. And Eric's advice to me was that after that happens, or even before that happens, if I can capture it, but at least after it happens, just take a note card and write down how I was feeling before I did the thing that I did. And what that did was drew awareness to what was the trigger? What's the cause of this behavior that's undesirable? And how, and then from there, what I unpacked was, oh, wow. And like, it's amazing how quickly it goes deep. Like I understand for people that are listening that maybe don't have experience doing this, they may be like, oh, I'd never be able to have this thought. But as soon as you start to write this down, this shit will pop up to the top of your consciousness. But what happened for me was I went, okay, what feeling am I feeling before I go and get the candy bar? Oh, I'm feeling a little bit anxious and I'm feeling like unloved. And I was like, fuck, okay, what's that coming from? So I went a level deeper and it was the pattern I identified was whenever I had to have a difficult conversation at work where I had to assert myself in a way that would make someone else potentially not like me and even just potentially not like me, not like for sure, like, fuck you, you're fired. Just like, hey, you can't run that machine that way anymore. I would have a response of wanting to go get sugar to create a certain internal state that wasn't me thinking about being uncomfortable about whether or not someone else loved me. I was like, oh shit, okay, god damn it. Like, there's that pattern. And then you go a level deeper, you go, where is this coming from? It's like, oh, certain times when in my childhood where I didn't feel necessarily safe and I didn't feel as loved as I could have felt. Oh, <laughs> years and years later, this continues to unpack. So when you start to you start to give these habits the intentionality, it's not like you're gonna be perfect immediately, but what it does is it allows you to in real time, sort of like the matrix, like slow down into bullet time and go, oh, there's the pattern. I see what's going on here. All right. And then you can actually opt in or out. And it could take a lifetime for you to come to that mm -hmm. awareness. So that's beautiful. And I, so you were speaking about um, the some people having some difficulty going into those. So I have, I'm working on a journal right now. And mm -hmm. The process that I'd invite everyone to is uh, four steps, well, three steps, and I call it ARIA, A-R-I-A. So awareness, recognition, and then intentional action. Mm 
and uh so the awareness is what you have you you come into being completely aware of this action or state of being or a way of being or a way of thinking or a way of feeling the recognition is what is this impact having on me right now mm. and the intentional action that you can take is start going is to start going deeper start going deeper asking the questions that you have been asking and I'd invite people to add a layer of it would be to ask that part that is showing up how old it is, how old do you think you let it know how old you are and then ask it if it feels safe, if it feels safe to explore, if you can compassionately just let me know, like show, ask it if it has anything that it'd like to show you. And as it seems to be doing with the process that you go in, you get to see all of it again. You see that printer, you see yourself reaching for the sugar. And then when that, in that moment is processed, that part that feels like it needs to show up in that way act and re reach for that sugar, it feels a bit safer and says, whoa, 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 maybe I don't need to protect myself this way. And it gets a little bit more curious. And maybe the next time you reach for sugar, but you have a little bit more awareness. And then the time after that, more awareness. And then eventually it extinguishes the, the action completely. So now by going through the process of awareness, recognition, and then intentional action, the intentional action of allowing yourself to be with that part, allowed it to be safe. And now when you do reach for sugar, you may still reach for it, but you're not doing it on behalf of the burden that initially took you there. And you regain a little bit more agency into your life. And there's a, it's a, there's a bit more softness and there's a transferability also, because you can be aware about this, but now... Can you be a bit more aware about even how you, your posture is on the chair mm. and recognize it? And then, okay, so now I can intentionally take action on that too. And then awareness becomes a way of being. Yeah. So, um, and we just went five, 10 layers deep there. So to, to provide some, some contextual actionability to that, that framework, A-R-I-A, it, it's, a repeatable action a which i love so it's like hey you can do this over and over again you can go a, a layer deeper each time on the same thing but b i think it, it's important for people to remember that like the goal is not because this is people that i've coached and worked with this is a lot of times where they get stuck is like they hear no sugar and they're like fuck you i want sugar in my life eventually which like i feel your pain i love sugar but the goal is not to cut this thing out forever and never touch it again. And whatever the thing is, like people struggle with this with alcohol. I know when I was trying to slow down the boozing, that was like my biggest struggle. I'm like, fuck, am I, if I am an alcoholic and I have to quit drinking, does that mean I never get to touch alcohol again in my life? Had lost, lost struggle with that. The goal is not to go totally none. The goal is to get it to the point where you are consciously choosing the thing and not running an unconscious program to just be knocked into it. Absolutely. I, I call that life off of the autopilot mm. because now you are conscious, aware, and you have agency of your life. And it can take a lifetime to deconstruct all of the burdens that have placed us, that make us do what we do. And just think, if you had to consciously think about going to get food when you were young, but you weren't aware of it, you, you may have starved to death, but so thank that part of you that motivates you intrinsically to go get that meal or to hydrate. Um, but like it's, 
this 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 process brings ultimately you into the greatest I, what when i hear people say i'm living my authentic truth i what i'm hearing actually is i have set my life up in such a way that i feel safest in all of these things and i may have a set of for many unresolved traumas that continue to exist but i have put my myself in a place or an environment where i'm not being re-triggered by these things mm. so what I feel is more of an authentic approach to this, but I completely get that too, because right. that is a way to prevent pain. Mm -hmm. But what I would invite into people's reflection for what an authentic life would be, would be, I see my barriers. I have danced with my barriers. Mm -hmm. I have be become aware of the concepts, conditioning and attachments that I have received consciously or unconsciously in places where I felt safe or I didn't. And I, in letting them feel safe, remove the burden and now when i step into the same spaces that i was before where i would feel uncomfortable i choose to or places where i would uh, yeah or places that i would avoid now i can i can choose whether i want to avoid it or not not do it because of the the pain that my system is uh, experiencing mm. so yeah that's and that's where i think the the meat of where all of this work that we're doing is leading us to and people sharing their their stories their information that they that they have accrued on their journey the work that they do is ultimately a return to themselves but on the other side of the barriers so a life actually off of the autopilot yeah i love that concept and it, it is like a it's a i call it an unburdening it's almost as if you're walking around and you've got a weighted vest on and like, it's just weighing you down and you don't realize it after a while. It's just there. And you start to take some of these pieces off of yourself and you're like, wait, I'm 20% faster than I thought. Like, I, I had this experience after a powerful plant medicine ceremony where I, I, un, I unburdened a part of me that was still stuck from a long time ago. And as I came out the other side of that, I had no joke, probably 50% more energy on a daily basis because that part was being triggered so consistently every single day that it was, it was draining a part of my mental battery every single day. And it's like, boom, I unburdened that piece. And I'm like, am I smarter than I was yesterday? What the fuck is this? Like, this is great. So it is just to speak to the process that you can, as you start to dissect these things people some people listening may go well everything's fine right now and i'm good to go and it's like yes maybe possibly there is probably a person out there who is just like fucking everything worked out perfect and you're good to go for most of us i would argue all of us there's continual work to be done but also that work is very rewarding like you come out the other side of some of these understandings and some of these some of these new ways of being and you function better day in day out mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so when i that that brings up the thought that when you're in a comfortable space you have very little motivation or inclination of taking action on anything things mm -hmm. are good here i'm gonna stay here um whereas when you're deep in the shit when you're in abyss when you're approaching a rock bottom you're if you haven't been completely energetically depleted where you can't even get out of bed you are looking for means to bring yourself out. And there's a lot of energy requirement that is required for you to actually step out of this, but back into yourself. 
And what ends up happening is when all of the systems within your, what we'll call your ego, completely cannot, they completely fail in the roles that they need to play. As long as you survive that, which you will, you are able to step back into a redefining of yourself and where that energy depleting that you were saying was, it was completely draining you, that completely shifts to a new space. That place, that, just think that that process of being that you have requires so much daily mental energy for it to continue to show up the way that it thinks that it needs to. But when you do explore things like plant medicines, they provide you an opportunity for you to see these parts that are requiring a lot of energy without them protecting you from the awareness. If you're the witnesser, if that makes sense. So you become the witnesser of your, this thing that is energetically depleting you without the thing that depleting you protective mechanism that it has from even letting you be aware of its existence. Hmm. So it's a, that is, and then that energy that becomes available to you, you can use to nurture yourself in such beautiful ways. But then we step into these places that, Oh, life is so beautiful again, and we don't get challenged. And then we lose our ritual of the work that we were doing because we're comfortable in this space. So I just finished listening to Kamal Ravikant's, I hope I didn't butcher his name, mm-hmm. no, uh, right. his book, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depended On It. Mm-hmm. And he reiterated that loving yourself, truly loving yourself, doing the work, unburdening the trauma is a daily ritual. Mm-hmm. I would say it's a ritual as opposed to a habit because I feel like habits fall more in the line of an ego, whereas a ritual is something that is nourishing yourself. And he said, when you go to the gym, you don't go to the gym once and say that you're fit or you're strong. It's a daily process that you you dedicate yourself to that allows you to become stronger. But I'd even invite people who go to the gym every day to get curious, what is motivating you to go to the gym? Mm-hmm. Is there a part of you that you feel uncomfortable that by you not going to the gym, you feel that discomfort so much so that it motivates you to, to end up going and crushing a workout. Mm-hmm. Like what does crushing mean? Are you extinguishing a deep seated pain? Uh, like, so I, I think about that in the gym and when I'm in the gym now, if I, I don't know if you've ever done this, Alex or anyone yes. listening at your suggestion, if you're going to say what I think you're going to say, <laughs> well, it would actually, <laughs> well, first it would be, don't take music when you go to the gym because it, brings this extra layer of you not being aware of where you are with your body in that space. Mm. And it's just hitting you with dopamine with these beautiful beats that make you feel great. And you're almost nurturing this beautifully protective place that exists in the gym. So if you can Mm. cut music, one, that would be a beautiful thing. Or alternatively play a song that is completely has no reason to be in the gym, like a piano song. Mm. And be still where in spaces where you would normally be moving very heavily and feel the discomfort of that. And I have been going to the gym now and being still in spaces where like where people are usually doing bench presses, or not bench presses, uh, squats. And I feel like, oh, I'm wasting someone's time. So I need to be doing something. I, I, I should be crushing my legs right now. Why am I not? And then when I realized that these are just thoughts, these are processes, these are all things that exist within the barriers like constructs of my mind, I become still, become aware and the recognition allows me to intentionally step into it. And I feel this big weight off of my chest, which you're equating to energetic demand. Mm. 
mm-hmm. and I feel lighter. I feel softer. And now I'm bouncing in the gym. And it's this, this smoothness that comes back qualitatively to your life on the other side of when these barriers are recognized and become uh, unburdened. Yeah. And even, even as a, as a step for people to take, cause I, I tried that exercise that you're just describing. It was beautiful. I was like, wait, look at all this stuff that's under here. Holy shit. That's under the, the manhole cover of my, of my gym workouts. And what I realized was that the main reasons I like to go to the gym are that I enjoy getting to jam out to some music quite loud in my headphones, not the healthiest thing in the world, but oh, well, got to have some vices and getting to do an exercise that I want to do for no other feeling than to have the experience of like the beat here and the experience of the exercise and just enjoying that. And what's been funny is as I've unpacked that and started to do more of that and less of other, what, what bothers some of my friends to know to no end and people that I talk to about working out is I don't have a workout plan. I walk into the gym and I'm like, feels like deadlifts today, I guess. <laughs> that sounds good. Like it's just a, it's an enjoyment thing now where it's like, I want to go do deadlifts. And maybe halfway through, I notice in my body, I'm like, All right, this isn't doing it for me anymore. We're good. And not, and I want to be careful to caution people here because it took me a long time to get here. And what you don't want to be doing is the first sign of any discomfort, you just quit. Cause that's the, that's swinging the pendulum too far the other way, but it's to really be noticing in my body. Like, okay, that was good. I don't need to do that extra accessory exercise today. Those that de- that set of deadlifts was perfect as it was. And we're good. And I'm out. And I got what I was looking for from the experience of the gym, that fulfillment of moving my body, enjoying music and being in the moment and being super, super present. And I'm out. <laughs> And it's become just like a a way I've gone to the gym way more since having this realization than ever. That's, that's a beautiful share. It brings up two thoughts. My first one before I dive into like an addition to that would be, do you remember the period that existed between when you were showing up to the gym for deadlifts with the plan Mm -hmm. and where you are now? What did that feel like in between when you were showing up when, in the, when you became aware that, oh, I have been showing up here with a plan of something to do, mm. and now you're no longer honoring the plan? What, was that, mm. what did that feel like? Pressure at first. It was a pressure of like, oh, okay, well, I'm just not doing enough. And like my body's going to end up looking a certain way if I don't push myself and make sure I do all my exercises. And if I don't follow a structured plan, then... What am I even doing going to the gym? It's like, it took a while to kind of unpack and unburden that piece to get to the point where I'm like, I'm okay with this. Like, Right. So very often I, from what you're sharing also is we, we, as humans, when we're witnessing, we, we use feeling as our validator of the experience being what is something that I want to step into again. So when you're stepping into something new, something new if it feels good it's probably fitting into constructs that you're already that are already serving your body not necessarily good but they're your body trusts it whereas when you're doing something that feels horrible and you're not enjoying it at all it may not be that you're not enjoying it it's just that that part of your ego that has been identifying with things is now 
in, put into question again. And it, if ego dissolution is a thing, this could be the early feelings of what ego dissolution mm -hmm. is. But what ends up happening is more space uh, opens up for you to, for example, if you're learning the piano, the first times you play the piano, it's horrid. And horrid is also just a, a, a human explanation that we'll put right. shame ourselves there. But we're picturing Mozart or this kid that we saw playing on YouTube so incredibly. And we sh that pain is so uncomfortable at the start that we do not progress through. Whereas the pain that we keep intentionally stepping through lightens up more and more as mm -hmm. we step into it. And maybe if we were able to say, okay, I'm not going to try anything in my life again, just once I'm going to try it at least 10 times before I say that this is not for me. Hmm. If we made that like a, a non-negotiable, I think we would have a better idea of things that actually we are curious about. And we would let our ego know just like there's transferability that, Hey, if you don't feel comfortable about something, that doesn't mean that you just because of one dissatisfying experience that we don't continue doing this if we if we let that our ego know that hey this is a fourth or fifth experience down the road that we're really going to start reaping the benefits from mm -hmm. if our ego knew that with absolute certainty i think we'd be stepping into things a little uh, a lot more and a lot sooner yeah, and with absolutely. more transferability so i i'm i'm mindful of that and i, I can share that i was in hawaii at uh, a wilderness camp uh, run by a friend of mine. His name is Andrew Parr. Um, and he brought this movement specialist and he does these things called zero forms. Mm -hmm. And they incorporate rhythmicality with movement, coordination, strength, endurance, and stillness. And stillness in certain positions that make you despise being a human <laughs> in those moments. And I mm -hmm. felt like I was learning a new language and day one, I'm like, I flew all the way to Hawaii for this. Mm. And I'm at the back of the line thing. I'm, I'm planning my flight back home in my, my mind. I'm, I'm like, I'm leaving tomorrow. I don't want to be doing any of this. Meanwhile, I'm swinging my arms. And by about the sixth hour, because it was intensive days, by the sixth mm. hour, I started feeling a bit more looseness, a bit more flow. Right. But for six hours, I felt like a like I was learning something that I had, I had no desire to learn, mm. but I actually did want to desire it. And you know what, when I go to the gym now, every morning, every workout starts with a form of zero movement. And I don't mm. know which one it's going to be. I just feel the playfulness of it now. So had I not leaned into that discomfort and really continued to honor the, the process while being mindful of the discomfort, because discomfort is just an indicator, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. It's not in what's it trying to pull you away from? Does it think you're going to die? Uh, so letting it know that it's safe allowed me to step into this. And now it's become a part of my process. So, yeah, I think it a very close parallel in yoga for me, which I'm quite bad at. And there's a period of time where, uh, where me and Morgan, we signed up for a yoga studio and we had like 10 classes, 10, whatever introductory classes to go to. I went to class one. And I, like when I say I'm bad at yoga, like this is not a, a I'm not being self-effacing. Like I am bad at yoga. <laughs> and we get through the first class and I was just like pissed off the entire class at yoga. Just like, fuck this, fuck this stupid position. Fuck that position. Fuck this position. Fuck that old bitch in the corner who's way better than me. And like it brought a ton of stuff up. And I'm just like, oh, fuck. 
all right, we signed up for the 10 classes and like we already paid for it. So I got to go to the next one in the middle of the second class. I'm doing forward fold and I cannot get my, like at this point, my hands are barely going past my knees like that bad. And I just, I start to get just like so pissed off. Like I'm like ready to leave the class. Just like, fuck this. This isn't for me. And like, for me, this is a heavy, it was a deep triggering because I've always been really athletically competent my whole life. Like I played sports, ran track, did all these things. And I'm so bad at this and it's something to do with my body. So it's just like triggering me on a deep level. And then finally, I just like pushed through the anger for a second. And on the other side was just this like deep, joyous laughter and like I looked over at Morgan and I was like, you seeing this? Like, are you seeing how fucking bad I am at this? This is actually really funny. And like it allowed that joy to creep in of the joy of the process and to allow me to just be like, oh, it's okay. Like I'm only causing myself pain by being really fucking angry about being bad at this. And if I treat this with a little more lightheartedness, a little more joy it's not so bad. Like, yeah, I'm still bad at it, but at least I'm bad and having a great fucking time being bad at it versus being bad at it and just like whipping myself over and over again about it. Well, so do you think I would get curious about the fact that you're a doer, you are, you're a crusher when it comes to physical activity. And then yoga is, it's a form of physicality, but it incorporates stillness and another process that is separate from the crusher doer that you know yourself as and the shaming part that comes in within you can be become so blended with the feeling that you're having and the discomfort that it completely paralyzes you into a distaste for the process that you're experiencing with yoga and how many people stay right there so you had to there was a moment of awareness that allowed you to override into into plainness right Mm -hmm. It is, it is, as Dr. Dan said, Dr. Dan Engel at one point, like the play system allows you to learn things much, much quicker. I can't remember the exact number, but like four times quicker. When you can tap into that playfulness and allow yourself to be in that space, not only are you having more fun, but you're actually going to learn the thing faster because you're not, you start to tap into the inner knowing that we all have for so, so many things of just, okay, I'm becoming an open vessel and allowing myself to just receive what I need to learn and then to try it rather than the extra step of receive what I need to learn internally go, fuck that's stupid. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And then you're just running that program the whole time. Right. Well, so on the other side of, and when you're learning, if, if play is the thing that makes us incorporate it, allows our system, our vessel to be completely receptive to the experience, there's seriousness. I, I've been brought into question this year by my like a part of me that said what is actually serious and i i cannot find one thing that is actually serious that a human being isn't exaggerating in some way mm-hmm. when someone is I, I, i'm in the emergency room and someone's passing there is a very there's an important gravity to the situation mm-hmm. but it's the seriousness of it, I think, is this, uh, this bastardization that we've done of the word that makes us think that, like, if we don't do this thing, it, everything is over. Right. Um, I, I feel like that pressure that it puts on you to learn, to be, to experience is so detrimental to your efficacy mm-hmm. and to your experience that it does not serve whatsoever. 
So I, I, I intentionally step away from when people say things are serious in some way, or I reframe it. I invite them into reflection of where we, we magnify. There, there's minimization and maximization, which are tools that we use in our defense mechanism that is immature, they, they'll call it. Another one is reductionism. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, magnification is what we do very often for certain situations. And we will call them serious when they actually aren't. And when we can just at least become aware of the fact that it isn't serious, that almost immediately brings us back into play. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just knowing, knowing the questions to ask yourself internally to create that state is a helpful concept to get around because the catastrophizing is a, it'll trigger for whatever you let it trigger for. You could get a bill in the mail that was unexpected. And you're like, fuck. And if you don't watch your mind, it's going to spin out 400 steps down the road and go, oh, we got this bill. I didn't expect it. Now I'm going to lose the house. Now my kids are going to leave. Now my whole family's going to die. And like, you'll, you'll spin this whole magical fairy tale of a catastrophe in your head before you even realize it. Mm -hmm. Stop. Ask yourself the question really, what does this actually mean? Oh, it means this bill is unexpected, but I'm batting a thousand for the whole of my life up to this point. I haven't died yet because of something like this. So chances are I'll be fine. And inviting yourself to then take that step back and go, okay, this isn't that serious. Even if it feels, and even when it really is like serious, it's like, okay, would you be better served handling this while you're freaking out and taking it super seriously? Or would you be very served handling this with an air of levity and an air of happiness? Because it's going to make every step of the way easier if you have to call the loan agent. Like, if you're pissed off and fucking taking it serious, they don't want to help you. If you're playful and light, they might help you. All right. So with that, that's very interesting that you... Has that happened to you specifically? Yeah, no, that's a real-life example. I remember when I was... God, this must have been when I was like 23, 24. And I was just like, not very on top of my money at all. I'm still not great with it. But this was like a whole extra nth degree of this. And like, I got this bill and it was just, it was for the car that I had bought. That was like way too, I'd spent just way too much money on it. And it's just like pinky payments on it. And just like, fuck, whole thing going on. And I get this bill. And originally it was just fucking freaking out. I was like, I, there's no way I can pay this bill. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to move in with my parents and my parents are gonna hate me and no woman will ever love me like that and just like spun this whole story in my head and then I don't know what caused me to take it less seriously but it, just some thought crossed my mind of like hey you've gotten bills before I was like yeah I have it's like this is another one yeah it is huh chances are I would be okay Oh yeah, huh? <laughs> yeah, that, so that's great awareness. That's what I was hoping mm -hmm. to allude to had you not gone there, but you did. That when we do have these painful experiences, very often the reaction that shows up there is from a time before mm -hmm. where there was some type of association that our mind makes in an instant of a time maybe when you were 20 and you didn't have the financial capacity to meet this and that chaos of, I, I feel like I'm going to not financially survive this experience hmm. is, is expressing itself with the feelings and also the compensatory mechanisms that 
were present back then for it to show up. But with the awareness, you're able to let it know that you're here now. Like I, I still get credit card bills monthly and I'll see these numbers and they'll do something in my body, mm -hmm. but I'll recognize that, whoa, this, I, I am able to afford this now, mm -hmm. but I recognize where this feeling does come from. Um, so that's, that's again, great awareness for us to, to, to heal that part. Cause that can be like financial survival that we, that we perceive in our mind is something that I think every human being is thinking about at least once during the day. When I'm driving down the road, I'm thinking, what is a shared experience that we are having, regardless of what our level of uh, awareness we have in the world is, uh, in, our, in our life is. And I think it's, it, money very often is something there. So I would invite everyone to think a little bit about what, what actions do they take in their life that honors this fear that they have of financial scarcity. Hmm. And there's probably four to seven, you may be with a partner because of financial scarcity. Mm -hmm. Whereas you don't necessarily love this person out of love. You're loving them because you're scared of you not being financially okay. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a very powerful, but also debilitating thought to go to. Imagine you come to the awareness that, wow, I've been with this person and I have two children with them, but it was just out of financial insecurity that I came here that can be so destabilizing to a system that people will spend a lifetime not looking at that. And I get that completely. I have complete compassion for them, but also like, wouldn't you love to know what truth looks like too? Mm -hmm. And identifying those, I'm going to not remember them all off the top of my head, but there's those five core wounds of the soul. And one of them is related to embarrassment in some way. And that's like a, it's a deep one for a lot of people, like the fear of being embarrassed about having run a program for so long, like, okay, I'm dating this person for financial security, or I'm working this job, I hate financial security, like the embarrassment of being wrong, a lot of times is just so terrifying. Like, oh, I don't, if I quit, then that tells everyone that they were right. And I, I fucking suck. And it's like, or there's the third option. <laughs> And it's that we're humans, we're malleable. You can learn something new. Embarrassment fades shockingly quickly. Anytime you've ever truly been embarrassed, it's like a week and you're back to normal. Unless you're in like high school, in which case you're in high school, wait it out, you're going to be fine. <laughs> but for adults, like fades really quick, fades from people's minds and then you're back to you. Right. But we, we hold on to that fear like nothing else. Well, the, so what would be triggered or hurt by that would be, I will not be received by my tribe. And when your mind interprets, I will not be received by, when I say tribe, I mean the people, of the, the people that you're currently around or engaging with, whether in real life or in social. And if I was not received by these people, my risk of survival is diminished. It decreases because when you are pushed out of a group of collective people that are uh, existing within you, our monkey mind that used to exist in tribes of like two to 800 people thinks I may die on my own. Mm -hmm. So that's why we don't show up. But when, as we, so rejection is a deep one that's, that exists within there. Mm. Um, and we don't want to, uh, have the disapproval of this tribe or will be pushed away, 
but what we realize more and more like oh yeah even though it took a week for me to feel good again after having exposed myself within the tribe i stuck my neck out i i actually was able to survive and i think like i used to not stick my neck out Mm -hmm. and bring people into a like probably the most important moment where I did stick stick the neck out in my in my adult life was when uh, we were in the Austin summit, and the week before I had spoken with uh, Aubrey on a Zoom call about his protectors, mm-hmm. Aubrey Marcus, mm-hmm. and uh, he when we were at in Austin he came up to me early on and he's like, do you think you could talk to me and Whitney about parts? Mm-hmm. And um, that didn't end up materializing, but there was a moment where he was up on stage and he he was about to go to the next topic but then he's like no 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 and i have a beautiful picture yeah, yeah. Yep. This moment. he's like kave come up on stage come share right. this and in that moment where i had no preparation whatsoever where he asked me to come share with uh, a little bit about what's called internal family systems mm-hmm. it's a great way for recognizing how your inner system works and it gives beautiful terminology for us to get to know ourselves okay. um I felt between the, in those 20 feet, I felt this voice saying, you are not able to share anything of value to these people. What are you even mm-hmm. doing considering going to take the mic? I go sit back down. And I, and in, while he's, he's, I'm, I walked up confidently, but I also spoke to that part and I was aware of the pain and concern that I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. And I let that part know that because I I realized that he was terrified of if he goes in front of these people, he's going to lose credibility right. and uh, he's going to maybe be pushed out by them and he'll, he'll be a loner. Uh, but I let him know that he is safe and that if he wanted to address anything with me, uh, I would be happy to step in with him in a, right after this. But right now I need to be fully present for this moment mm-hmm. and I'm not forgetting about you. And what ended up happening was this part of my system was able to step back and I was able to be the most present I've ever been in my life with that microphone and the pain and fear that I had been experiencing of not showing up for my tribe. I had consciously asked to soften back. Hmm. And I was able to be present for those four minutes up there. And I felt this deep high of probably what it feels like when you acknowledge a barrier and step on the other side of it. And when I went and sat back down, he came screaming at me again. Mm-hmm. And he said, and he, he shared everything. And he let me know actually that when I was in my interviews during medicine, I felt like I had to show up in 20 minutes and tell this person completely who I am and why I'm valuable to them. Mm-hmm. And he did not feel like I put everything on the table and I left and I would leave anything unsaid. And he, sorry, he, le- he thought that I would often leave things unsaid. And I let that part know that it is safe and that I'm here now and that I'm 32. And um, now there's this beautiful relationship when I'm stepping into spaces where my, the conceptual fear of tribal survival is brought up. I'm able to consciously work with that part. And I don't know what arena I'm uncomfortable with right now. Like I, I, I don't, I haven't stepped into one in the past year. It's been beautiful. Yeah. And it's a, it's an important acknowledgement to, to just realize that this is like to give the devil his due like it's a real primal fear and that fear is programmed into you for a valid reason however the manifestation we're most often experiencing now in modern day society 
where you can just like, let's say, let's play the worst case scenario. You get up in front of everyone there and everyone fucking hates you. You say something so fucked up that we're like, that dude Kave is the worst. Fuck that guy. I never want to speak to him again or even look at him. Like, let's say that happens. You know what you get to do? You hop on a plane, you fly to a different city, nobody knows you, and you try again. <laughs> and you got new feedback. Like, that's the real worst case scenario. Like, so to, to acknowledge that you have this biological impulse to, to protect yourself in terms of your relation, your relational relationship to the other members of the tribe, but then to acknowledge like, okay, things really can't go that wrong. And if I'm showing up with truth and kindness, things actually pretty much go really well almost always. And when they don't go well, usually it's because your truth caused a triggering in someone else of something they didn't want to look at. And when that's the case, then you just got to go, okay, this is where we're at. And that's actually still going well. They may not appreciate you in that mm -hmm. instant, but they're going to appreciate the lesson that they receive moving forward if they allow it. Mm -hmm. The other thing that may happen and is that they divert themselves. And the we have two things that are making their way into society. They are one is deeply embedded itself, and another one is approaching like full North American legality. Mm -hmm. It's our for starters, our phone is a diversion that is a pocket within our pockets, and we can go anywhere we want to not feel any of that discomfort. And we can be there as long as we want, and we can spend a lifetime being there. I think about gamers very often, where they do not feel comfortable with their their lives mm -hmm. and like what their current life exists uh, experience is and then they go there and they can be in control and they don't while they still don't feel the negative things that exist back within them um where was i going with this <laughs> there's there's parts that come up um could you like I, this this is i guess the humility of a, a human being who could you refresh my, my memory about what we were talking about? Yeah, talking about absolute worst case scenario, you don't get kicked out of the tribe, like you have a new tribe to go to, and then you're talking about when we're speaking our truth to someone, how they may not be willing to receive it because it causes a triggering within them. And then even that in and of itself is a gift to them because you're giving them an opportunity or an inflection point to further analyze where that triggering is coming from. And then the escape mechanisms of that phone video games except yeah so what alex just demonstrated is beautiful presence so he's present for the conversation whereas when i was sharing something i noticed a part of me my ego actually coming in and taking me into when i myself was playing video games halo 2 specifically all of a summer where i felt I, i'd separated from a partner and i didn't mm -hmm. want to feel any of the pain and that part completely came and consumed my mind where I would remember the moment looking at my watch at 5 p.m. at 5 a.m. Knowing my dad would be waking up at 6 a.m. to go to work. So I would plan the games accordingly with the other people that I was mm -hmm. playing to leave at 5.55 a.m. to run up to the room. Right. But I had intentionally used this tool to extinguish this discomfort that I was experiencing. And what I was coming to was the diversions that we do that can that extinguish us from the things that the pains that we experience. And the, the other one that I just wanted to touch on really quickly, thank you for bringing me back, by the mm -hmm. way, Alex. that was no beautiful. Problem. 
this guy has an astral lasso and he's got <laughs> lassos to bring us back to the present so beautifully is um with marijuana and i know this will not be re well received by others and if it's not well received that is a beautiful mirror of opportunity for you to work with mm -hmm. the way that when you're smoking please ask yourself why because if you're not very often you're using it no differently than alcohol masked under the like the notion that it's healthy for you mm -hmm. that it cures cancer that you sleep better that you're more relaxed because we we are the way that we're using this right now is it's the the feedback mechanism and the reward mechanism that we're receiving from it is very similar to any other form of addiction if you mm -hmm. want to call it that mm -hmm. it's extinguishing a pain that we don't want to look at so the diversions that exist within a phone and marijuana and alcohol and all these other things that depress us in certain ways are taking us away from further, further away from where we probably want to be. So yeah. I'd invite you the next time you want to grab a joint or smoke or loosen up, disinhibit in any way, don't and see what comes up. And it Absolutely. may be discomfort first and you're going to be blended by it, but it'll get lighter. We are adaptable, habitual creatures. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even ask yourself, like what I do with weed now is I don't smoke almost ever, like once a year, twice a year. I treat it as if it's alcohol. Like I think about it in the same light. So that means, is it okay for me? And for each person it's different, like whatever. But for me, like, would it be okay for me to get really hammered on a Wednesday night for no reason? Like culturally that screams out, no, fuck no, that wouldn't be okay. Like what? But people are doing the equivalent on weed and just because it doesn't have as much of a hangover effect it's kind of viewed as like no worries like no big deal but i try to look at it now as the same way i look at like having a drink like okay a it's a re it's a reward that i'm putting in place for myself and i want it to be attached to an experience that's actually going to enhance so that could be sex that could be watching a funny movie that could be it's also my cheat day so like let's combine the two but to, to flip the script on weed and all of these things, alcohol, everything to make it a reward for, t for treating myself seriously and a pre-planned reward rather than an unconscious response to feeling something I didn't want to feel. That's a very important differentiation between the two. And if we can be thinking that way for all aspects of how we show up in the world, you're going to be a lot more forgiving. You're going to be on yourself. You're going to engage less in consumerism's tactics that mm -hmm. compel you to go buy things. It'll make you less connected with the society, the social media hooks that compel you to spend time there. When someone messages you, do you have to respond to them immediately? Mm -hmm. There's a check mark that's shown. Now they've seen that you've seen their message. Do you have to respond to them right away? Mm -hmm. And they, there's these hooks that are, that exist within there that I, I'm deeply aware of, and I invite everyone to get super curious, even for one day, if you could be completely aware of every aspect of your being, starting with the clothing that you choose, mm -hmm. the shower temperature that you take, the chair that you're sitting on, the type of meal that you have, when you hydrate, who you speak with, what you do, all of the, if you took a beautiful inventory of one day in the life of you, in, of you, you will be able to, start create, recreating a framework 
that allows you to have the choice with what Alex was mentioning about, mm. am I consciously deciding this or is it an, uh, an unconscious motivator that is making me think, feel, do, act in the way that I'm being? Yeah, and to just touch on that even a little bit further that I think that we, like, look, when you first start this process, it's painful. Yeah. Like, I get it because I've been there. And what I think is painful about it is you start to do this work and you realize that 90% of your day is a coping mechanism. And you're like, fuck, really? 90% of it? Like, my whole day essentially has been just like one long coping mechanism from waking up and just like slamming four cups of coffee right away to the gas station on the way to work where you get the sweets to make yourself feel a certain way. And then you're at work and does it, does you respond to every email immediately as soon as it hits your inbox. So you can get this like serotonin dopamine rush from that. And like, it's kind of painful to look at that at first and it is a constant process, but the benefit that is on the other side is as you enjoy each of these things, the enjoyment becomes a true enjoyment of it because you won't have like to jump back to weed for a second. Like what I used to have when I would smoke much more often is there'd be a part in the back of my brain that was just screaming, Hey, you don't fucking like, you don't deserve to do this right now. You didn't do the things you're supposed to do today. You didn't do what you're supposed to do. You're just trying to numb. And like, whether I was super conscious of it or not was dependent on the day, but like that part's in the back. And that part is robbing some of the joy of the experience from you versus the times now where I smoke weed and it's just, it's purely like, I earned this. This is my reward for doing good. Like sweet, fucking awesome. It's a totally different feeling. So as you start to unpack these things one by one, it actually can give, it can ironically by taking them away in some ways, it can give you back the true experience of what these different things are meant to be. And that could be alcohol, that could be weed, that could even be fucking, going and watching porn like yeah porn's not fucking great but if you haven't watched it for an entire month and you intentionally go like hey i deserve i'm gonna take myself 45 good fucking minutes i'm gonna find the perfect porn video bust out the lube get myself comfy take care of myself it that's a different thing than like unconsciously every day like That's great awareness. And it brings up a a thought that I'm curious about now where it like when we do earning and reward, Mm -hmm. that may be a process on the way to complete enlightenment Mm -hmm. on on an experience. So first we do something unconsciously, then we become aware of it. And now like for, and for your example, it was uh, smoking weed. Um, You, you decided to not do it unless you earned it. And then you gave yourself the reward. But then there's also just the pleasure of experiencing the plant of marijuana for the experience of or, uh, the plant of marijuana, not using any previous conceived experiences, notions, or possibilities of reward mm. and being completely present for the experience itself. So I wonder if earning and reward are steps in the process to a complete absolving of your, of anything that can be perceived as thrill, uh, thrill feeding as opposed to soul nourishing mm-hmm. if, if there's a differentiation between the two i would think that the the latter like the end of it would be where we're nourishing the soul just for the experience of 
the nourishment that comes up and not because we feel burdened to have to nourish the soul. Yeah. And that, speaking theoretically here, but I like the thought process and I, I think it checks out that you, as you do this work and you unburden the traumas that are running a good portion of your life. And as you become truly you and extremely in touch and present with what you need in any given moment, the amount that you can trust what your internal voice is saying goes up and up and up to the point where maybe in a bodhisattva like level of awareness, you could opt in at any moment to like, right now weed is the thing. Boom. Because you're that in touch with your internal systems and you're so aware of what's going on internally that you're just absolutely sure. Like this is not some unconscious program running. This is me expressing in this moment. I think the steps to there, it's, it's useful to have the reward system because it's a, it also helps solve for the problem of hedonic tolerance. You don't want to just be like, when you smoke weed every day, it's not special anymore and it's not exciting. Um, yeah. But I think there is that level on the, on the very, very far end of the spectrum where it's like, because you're in such pure presence, you would be so in touch with yourself that in any given moment, you would know exactly, you know what I need right now? I need one baked potato with this much butter. Like that's what I need in this moment. Mm-hmm. And you'd feel no guilt. There'd be no moment between the action and the thought and it wasn't run by any other program. Mm. And that brings up uh, this concept that of familiarity breeding content. Mm. And when I think about that, I think about um, what the, the spaces that we step into when our ego recognizes the environments that we've been in, it feels so safe that it doesn't prime the senses to capture the experience that you have. And now you're just kind of walking through this place where it's painted everywhere, but you don't acknowledge any of the paint. Whereas when you step into a new city, like you say you're, you're from Toronto and you go into Chicago for the first time, your senses are so heightened and you're having this experience where you're just enriched with the sights, the smells, the people, you're recognizing people. There were people in Toronto, but now you're recognizing people in Chicago. I have this feeling that when our ego is being primed in new environments, it's because it doesn't trust the environment that it's existing in. And so it uses senses as an anchor for it to say, okay, I'm detecting everything around me. I feel safe or I don't. Mm-hmm. And eventually the, the un- not, it's not the unfortunate, but the unfortunate downstream effect is we become so desensitized to it because we feel but i think desensitization is feeling utter safeness in a place Hmm. so the habitual like uh uh, what's it called uh familiarity breeds contempt phrase is like the downstream effect of this habitualness that we've got and habitual is not exciting it's not Hmm. thrilling and then we go seek experiences elsewhere but if that's all we know we're going to keep leaning into it and so that 40th drink of alcohol that you've had this not 40 that's a ridiculous number but if, if it's the fourth drink that you've had um for the sixth day in a row and it's not doing the same thing as the first day that you've had it brings into question why you leaned in in the first place and at the same time i'm i'm thinking as i i trail into multiple loops being open mm-hmm. is um that if how can we maintain this sense of awe in a place or spaces that we've been in a million times before. I've got a good practice for that. 
would you like to share that would be beautiful for everyone because no, sorry not sharing it <laughs> fuck you cave fuck you listen just kidding all right um so this comes from a long time ago i I dealt with a lot of social anxiety and this was like the one thing I found that really helps drive presence because this is based on the, let's say the, the foundation of this concept is that when you're truly present, anything is an endless source of interest. Mm -hmm. So if I'm truly present in this moment and noticing things around me, it's fucking endlessly interesting. So basing on that concept, whether you buy into that or not, let's just, let's go with that for the moment. Noticing, so I'll just walk you through it. You take just a couple deep breaths and just kind of go, and just start to feel your breath. And then noticing the weight of your shirt on your body. Noticing the texture of how your shirt feels against your skin noticing your jeans or your pants and how they're fitting against your legs and then noticing in your hands or your arms or your face the temperature of the air that you're in the room of noticing the way your body feels and then putting that awareness outward and noticing an object in front of you for me it's this camera and just noticing a couple things on it that maybe you've never seen before. And just that simple fucking process of like weight of the clothes on your body, which I find a really useful trigger because we're usually wearing clothes when you do this, drives, takes you out of the process of your mind where you are just spinning thoughts and drives you into presence and body awareness. Mm. Just doing that, like, holy shit, all right, I'm back to center. And like, I, I use that so often to like quell my social anxiety. Like it just, you do that really quick and it takes you out of this like egocentric thought loop of if I talk to that person, what are they going to think and how are they going to think of me to just like, hmm, what do my clothes feel like right now? <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. That's uh, actually, I don't know if you have been uh, exposed to cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm. but they have a process in it called thought stopping mm. and thought stopping is more uh it's it's sense heightening which is pretty much what you did mm. but they add a process of five things you can hear four things you can touch three things you can smell two things mm. you can taste and one thing you can uh i forget the one scent that i didn't include there but yeah. the, <laughs> but uh uh feel <laughs> there it is but um what you are doing there, which is beautiful, is you're reigniting the ego that doesn't feel like it needs to use its senses to to recognize the environment that it's mm. in. So that's a beautiful process. I'd invite everyone who identifies with symptoms of anxiety or depression to or or feeling overwhelmed, even if you don't identify with those things specifically, mm. but if you feel like you're being thought led, you can tap back in through your senses to come back here and I if, if there was a process to be called where you have a scatter and you're not here, it would be sensefulness breeds mindfulness. Mm. So the senses, these five senses that you're tapping into, and probably the sixth, which is something that you have mm. to explore certain medicines to mm -hmm. tap into that vibration. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not umami. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I heard no. for a while that that was the sixth sense or something yeah. like that. But um, 
allows you to have this this beautiful presence that you can carry into all steps and if i could share on new year's eve i was with my friends at a party hmm. and it was a dinner and the music was very very loud and it was 11:30 p.m. and i'm realizing we are stepping into a massive decade after an incredible year that i just had and i wanted to step in with stillness and it was so loud so i started for the next 10 minutes asking people if they want to come with me like like my house is about a kilometer away from where we were at and i was at, i was inviting everyone thinking in my mind we're going to lay everyone out we're going to have a beautiful still transition from 2019 to 2020 and i saw in their faces that that is not what they feel safe with doing right now their mm -hmm. safety lies in being here where it's loud and with a bunch of people mm -hmm. and it my awareness of that canceled all of the plans and then i i turned and i looked at myself and i said what what lesson is uh, is in front of me here mm. and i realized it the the peacefulness that i'm seeking lies within mm -hmm. it, i don't have to be in an environment mm -hmm. that is peaceful in order for me to be peaceful but we very often go seek these feelings that we're seeking through the external experience when it right. is available to us within and the music started getting quieter and the presence of people stop being less of an invasive uh distraction for me and as a transition from uh it was 11:55 until about 12:02 i was completely with myself and mm. centered and it was the most beautiful realization to have because i realize when you're unconscious you will reach for things externally but also when you're if you want to identify it as being conscious we still seek peaceful places but it's still external and it's mm -hmm. no different it's just a bit better but if we can tap into the ultimate goal which is internal state of peace it doesn't matter where you are so thank yeah. you for bringing that reflection back into my mind once well, it's a important concept that i think is maybe not talked about enough in general but the the goal is not to be the monk on the mountain like that's not the goal that's fine and if that's some people's calling whatever to me that that's avoidance and it's putting yourself into a situation where things can only really go one way the what happens when you go to these quiet places like you go to a vipassana retreat or you do a plant medicine psilocybin ayahuasca whatever it is this is you putting yourself into a circumstance where you can better tune in to what's going on as you develop your ability to tune in the goal is to challenge yourself to tune in in your day-to-day -day life wherever you are so it's like you put yourself in this quiet place and it's okay like it's a good place to just like go like you meditate in silence and you meditate with like the perfect music on that you love but then bringing that slowly but surely like can i just breathe as i drive to work and acknowledge Aubrey talks about this like eyes open acknowledging other cars around you but just like can i turn that into meditation can i turn everything in my day to day life to a form of meditation where i'm tuned in and i'm present again it's the easiest in the moments of quiet it's the hardest in the moments of calamity and fucking new year's eve and everyone's around partying and like it's hardest then but you can do it then too right well that was the first time that i had applied my aria process intentionally mm -hmm. using those those letters where I became aware I recognized and then I was able to intentionally override the 
the process that was trying to drive me out of the place that we were at or trying to convince anyone to be anywhere other than mm -hmm. they are showing up in. And at what I recognize also is you can invite people into possibilities there, but if they are not ready to receive it, that's beautiful. That's beautiful, but you, you can at the very least prime a thought. Mm -hmm. If you are disappointed that they are not receiving it, that means that there's a part of you that's actually showing up and it's the tribal thing that's probably saying, mm -hmm. I'm not being received by my group. My risk of survival is hindered because imagine you're pushing someone into someone, something great. You know, it's great for them. And they're like, dude, I said no 10 times. Right. And then they stop texting you. They stop calling you. Now you've threatened that, mm -hmm. that tribal thing. And now your mind says, wow, even when I'm trying to help someone, I can't help them. And now I've been ostracized by my group in this case between your, this person and that. So we having stepping back from that and just inviting people into the possibility of it. I, I like saying those things. It sounds like I've like, I don't know what belongs to me and what's just the, like the compilation of all mm -hmm. of the, the material that I've been exposed to. But uh, this one seems to ring very true where you can invite people and not tell people to do anything. Mm -hmm. And the invitation doesn't bring their protectors up because very often just think their parents told them or whoever their young uh, God was the person that they identified with as an authoritative figure was telling them to do things in the past, but we're living in a time where we can start with intentionality, inviting people into other possibilities. And then they feel a lot safer to do that. And now they'll lean in a little more and they'll also feel a lot of a sense of safety with you as a person to be able to invite them into if they're ready or trusting to come into where you're, what possibility you're inviting them into. Mm. I also like that it's, it's inclusion rather than exclusion. Exclusion is me telling you, Kave, you're not good enough. You're not working out like you're supposed to be. You need to be working out. That's exclusion. Like you as you are is not the thing I need you to be. Mm -hmm. The invitation is if it resonates for you, I'd love to have you join me doing this thing. Like I'd love to, if you want to come to the gym with me tomorrow, I think it's a beautiful way to start my day. I'd love to have you with me. It's that's a totally beautiful. different thing. <laughs> and that's why it doesn't trigger. Like mm. we, we all have that response. Like someone's telling you what to do or what you need to do. And whether they're right or not, our response is fuck you. You don't know me. Right. Well, that's, this brings up an important notion that when we're in a process of healing and we're intentionally stepping into that, we want to include people in it. So we invite them in. We actually very often when we're early in the process, we tell them to come mm -hmm. heal too. But be mindful. What process took you into a state of requiring healing in the first place? Mm -hmm. This person may not be experiencing that type of stimulus in that way and they may not benefit from it. Their life is going so cakey right now mm -hmm. that... Why do you want to like ruin it in any way by healing? And I, I realized that like I was inviting the doctors at my hospital to uh, different possibilities for love mm -hmm. and realized they're okay with the way that they're being right now. And who am I right. telling them to be any other way? Yeah. So I, I, but you know what, in my mind, I excluded them for a while. I said, you know what, you guys don't want to be invited into love, then don't be a part of love, but you're not a part of my life either. <laughs> Have no love at all. Fuck you. Yes. <laughs> then I realized what aspect of that is love. Mm -hmm. And then I shifted a little bit more into greater invitations. And uh, I have a friend, his name is Marcus Mendoza. And I was with him in Jamaica. 
that's where I met him actually. And he said, uh, he, uh, there was a difficult time that he was going through and I challenged him to do X. And he said, what about instead of a challenge, you invited me into it? Hmm. And I'm like, hmm, that was a shift. You know what though? And my, I received it. Whereas in the past, like my ego would have melted for hurting hmm. this person hmm. with a word. But I, I received it and now I, I still do challenge at times, but um, I invite more so. And it, it taps into inclusion as opposed to exclusion. Because challenge is like, if you don't like receive this challenge or you don't right. succeed in it, you're out, homie. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's there's still a place for words like challenge and words like I need you to do this, but it's they should be used far less than they're used. And they should be used when you're like those those go okay when you're in a relationship that is already in really good resonance. Like me to you. You could tell me, hey Alex, I'd challenge you next week to try this practice. And I would know your intentionality behind it and go, okay. All right, let's do this. But the, in general, just inviting someone to something, is, it's just, you're welcoming them in. Mm -hmm. Love to have you try this. Right. And I'd invite even further, the reflection of when you're inviting someone in, is it because you're concerned about them, not of you being alone if they don't mm -hmm. come along? Mm -hmm. So um, this brings up the notion of being impeccable with your word, which is, it, specifically, if I were to think about impeccability of the word, I'm thinking that the words that I'm using are in line with my truth, but also they're mindful about where the truth is coming from, mm -hmm. what my why is for the word and how it is going to be received by the person. So if I recognize that if all of that criteria has been met and I, this still hurts the person when it's received, I have an opportunity to say, okay, did I actually go through this and I was impeccable? Like, through the process because if it's landing on this person in a way that triggers them but i was mm. i was in line with my truth you kind of absolve yourself and you're like this belongs to them how it's received now right um and i find that there's a lot of power in taking the time to practice what being impeccable with your word is and you can only do that if you're speaking not from compensation not from conditioning but from something that's a bit closer to, to what you are truthfully in alignment with. Mm. And I think it, it's, here's the analogy that's surfacing for me, the metaphor that's surfacing for me. If, when you try to present someone, like all truths are on a scale. So there's big truths like, hey, Kaveh, I think you're a bad person. That'd be a big truth. That's fucking like, whoa, holy shit. That's a big thing to try and share with someone. I don't think you're a bad person, by the way. So don't, don't, if, if don't I think were, about that. That's the image of me and not my essence. Exactly. So the sharing of something big like that is almost like, I don't know, the, you know, those big spotlights they have out of a, outside of a sports stadium. Like if you shine that at someone, it's going to fucking blind them. And there's no way they're going to be able to see what you're trying to tell them. Even if you're in truth with what you're saying, like this is true to me, they're not going to be able to see it. So what you want to do if you're being impeccable, which I like as a word, is to be as much as you can share what is going to be both true and useful to them. Because like you may need to share your truth. And if your truth, like if your truth is you think someone is a terrible person, then that's probably more about a boundary you need to update where you need to not see that person 
you need to not hang out with them, whatever it might be, rather than it is about you trying to martyr yourself and trying to fix them by sharing truths with them. But everything's on that scale where it's like, if you really wanted to help someone, you'd just go, hey, I, I really didn't appreciate it yesterday when you when you were really not thoughtful of, of my opinions and just who I am. And like, that's more of a chance for them to work than you're a fucking bad person <laughs> and I'm not pleased with you. And like, that's the difference to me between like impeccability of your word. Like, is it, is it true? But also, is it useful? Because if it's not useful, then what the fuck are you saying it for? You're saying it to validate your own ego of getting a response to confirm what you already know or believe you know. And then, then you can feel good about like, well, I wash my hands because he didn't see what I said. Like, I'm out of this. So, yeah. So that's interesting. Well, so, <laughs> so being impeccable with your word is one thing, but the quantity and quality and amount of wording that you're using can be honoring a different part and not being impeccable with the expression. Whereas the mm -hmm. words that you're using can be in line with your truth. And that's another layer that I'm just realizing right now as we speak. And when, when, while as you were speaking, I was bringing up about four or five different layers of wording where I recognize also the shaming in the, when we label a word as impeccable that can mm -hmm. be present. And I'm, it brings up this process that I would love to, uh, this reflection that I'd love everyone to at least consider when they feel like they're in the thick of it or if they're trying to figure something out for a long time. Remember this, you're this curious monkey creature in a human form alive at this time, just trying to figure this life thing out and trying to bring some understanding and some meaning to it. And when I go into these layers, when I'm on the 47th layer of the onion and it's just like, I don't even know how to get out of this thing. Right. I just step back and laugh a little bit. I'm like, what am I trying to figure out here? But I also love the capacity for us to be able to talk multi-level and be able to come and still bask in moments of surfaceness or moments of experiences that are not too exaggerative, that are actually nourishing to our soul, but also tap into the thrills. Because I remember you mentioning the vices as well. And vices are to be honored as much as thrills are to be honored, as much as time for self and nourishing is to be honored. And... There's no one way to anything, but if you feel that you are honoring yourself and you're in the daily practice of getting to know yourself and deconstructing things that no longer serve you is in the process right now, that is probably the biggest service that you can do to yourself. And if you are experientially hungry, hmm. really taking in a bunch of experiences and you're not leaving moments for the integration of the process, expect a lot of those burdens to show up in ways that do not necessarily serve you. Hmm. Um, and if the, what I would invite everyone to is finding moments of stillness, peace, where you can get to know all of these things to beautifully deconstruct them. Let them know that they don't need to be scaffoldings that continue to honor your experience of life. Hmm. Beautiful. Well, I think we're getting close to time here. We've gone probably an hour and 40 minutes at this point, so. This will be the longest podcast today. Um, I always like to wrap up with what is the thing or things that are surfacing for you right now that you are the most excited about or that 
you wake up in the morning and you're like, holy fuck, I get to work on this thing. And I am just like, yes, let's fucking do it. Mm. I feel like I have, not I feel, I have a certainty within myself that awareness and intentionality are two of the most important mediums for healing that the individual needs, but that this world needs. This world doesn't need human beings for us to exist, but we can definitely make this place uninhabitable if we do not take the time to heal ourselves first. Hmm. And I've noticed many of the powerful presences within major cities leaving because they don't feel like this is the place that they can continue to nurture the possibility of them feeling safe first. So I'd love, and I'm right now in the early processes of creating like a healing collective that does not bypass in any way. And if we do, we become mindful about how to make that a little bit less of uh, crutches, but more uh, a massive support system of people that will heal and bring this place to a world where the people that were this, the community that we want to exist in, I don't want it to just be in different places around the world. I want mm. to start with the environment and place that I exist in here. And I feel like this, the work lies in the city. So I'm most excited right now about healing Toronto and then moving this out to scale. Mm. Um, but, and being mindful about the, as much as I want to heal out there, healing within here too. Yeah. Um, and uh, Rumi has this beautiful phrase, uh, do not try and seek love, seek the barriers that prevent you from experiencing mm -hmm. it. I try and apply this. I'm, I'm mindfully applying it to many aspects of my life. And um, I'm time stamping this of January 16th, 2020. Yeah. Uh, not currently having a, a partner that like really nurtures my soul, but having curiosity for people that are in my life right now that could feel that possibility, hmm. but also recognizing what barriers are even preventing me or are putting me into reflection there. Hmm. So that and nurturing the relationships with my parents, um, with my hospital and uh, being the most present for this, this world. Like I pick up garbage every time I'm walking everywhere and hmm. I'd, I'd invite everyone, the messier it is, probably the more healing it'll be for yourself yeah. to pick it up. So I pick up trash. It, my gym is about 10 minute walk, but it takes me about 40 minutes to get there and come back. And I pick up trash and I'll hold it in all of my hand, like as full as, as full as I can until I get to the right garbage and recycle bin. And I'll take mm -hmm. the time to process it. So being intentional every step of the way. Um, and I'd invite everyone into that as well. That's beautiful. That uh, also that is probably one of the best hacks if you are feeling down, depressed, sad, do that. And just see how you feel afterwards. Just notice it. Try it once. Don't tell yourself a story about it. Just go try it and see what happens. Report back with how it felt. Yeah. So I love that the sun, I don't know if you can see on my screen here, the oh, sun yeah. is slowly yeah. taking me away <laughs> into yeah. the nether. I'm, I'm dissolving into pure light here. Um, <laughs> Kaveh, thank you for being on. I appreciate you, brother. I'm so glad I get to know you. I just want to take a second at the end of, end of every podcast to honor the person that I'm having on. So I want to honor you for being the intentional being that you are, the level of thought and the depth to which you think about how to best show up both for yourself and for others is truly inspiring. So it's a pleasure to know you, a pleasure to get to continue to know you. Uh, much love, brother, and we'll talk soon. 
Oh, I, and if I could quickly say the same thing for you, Alex, I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to have aligned in this mastermind this past year to see the work that you're doing, to see that you're not bypassing in any way and that the healing that you bring within yourself is what you are sharing with the world through the way that you hold space, the way that you facilitate, the way that you share information through this process that we're having and the essence that you are. If your function ceased, which I, I'm so glad that I get to share the experience of your function as much as your essence in this lifetime. But if that function were to cease, your essence still continues to emanate just like that source to your left. So Beautiful. thank you very much, brother. And I look forward to nurturing more experiences like we did at that retreat in Toronto. Hell yeah, it's more to come. Stay tuned, y'all, because we're going to be running some cool shit in the nearish future. So much yeah. love, everyone. Talk to you soon. Love you guys. Thank you. So that's it for this episode. I hope you got as much out of it as I did. Kave is really one of my close friends, and anytime we get a chance to have a conversation, we always end up expanding each other's minds a little bit and diving a little bit deeper than intended. But I hope this one was still interesting to you. If it was, share it out with a friend. Go ahead and leave a review. And those are the best ways to help the podcast. I also love to hear your feedback. If there's something you'd like to improve about an episode or the podcast in general, let me know. Uh, Without any more from me, I hope you have a wonderful day. Enjoy yourself today. Try to be a little more present and try to bring in some of these practices that we talked about in this episode. Much love, and I will see you soon.